Well, hey there, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to On the Record. On the Record is a series that I'm doing right now where I am going to be picking some of my favorite iconic albums and speaking with an artist of that band that appeared on that album. This is a new series, and I hope you guys and gals really enjoy this one. This time around, I'm going to be talking to Randy Jackson of Zebra, and we are going to be discussing the legendary and iconic debut self-titled release from this New Orleans band who ended up being a New York band, but still considers themselves a New Orleans band. Confused yet? Well, some light will be shed on this. So without further ado, let's get on the record with Randy Jackson of Zebra. I've been wasting my time. Well, Randy, well, welcome to On the Record with the Great Southern Brain Fart, man. I appreciate you coming back again. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Well, so, you know, this is our third interview, and I just want to make sure, like, I'm not freaking you out or anything, like, like how, I, that I haven't hit stalker status yet or anything. <laughs> no. Getting close? Not yet. <laughs> like you know, I got I got your list here. You're you're at number you're it's a three rating on the wall now. <laughs> <laughs> you're keeping track of us. Okay. I gotta watch out yeah. for myself. So I promise I'll stay within like ten feet of you when you come to town. You know, so, okay. <laughs> which speaking of, super excited that Scully Entertainment is bringing Zebra back to Atlanta after 25 years. That's got to be super exciting. I mean, I know I'm ecstatic because I haven't seen you guys since the 80s in New Orleans. So, like, it's been over 25 years for me. Yeah, we haven't been to Atlanta in, in about 25 years, it seems. And, uh, yeah. So uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great to have the whole band down there again, you know? I'm telling you, like, I, it, it, it's it's going to be so exciting for me because, you know, like I said, the last time I saw you guys, I was shoot me if I'm was wrong. It a nightclub or was it? No, may, would, it would it have been like St. Bernard Civic Center? Yeah, St. Okay. Bernard Civic Center. We played there. Okay, then that's where. Yeah, okay, then that's where it was because I remember it was a place where my parents were like, "Yeah, you can go there," you know. (laughs) So it was it was a really because I remember for me it was a big room, you know, and I remember thinking like, "Wow, it's so exciting!" I was seeing zebra in a big place, you know, and that was the the only time I ever got to see you guys. So I'm so excited for your return here. Cool. Well, we're excited to be there too. Well, so growing up in New Orleans and hearing you guys for the first time in 1985, you know, I had no idea at the time that you know by that time you guys were a New York band, and I mean, or, or living, I should say, you were living in New York. Um, now, uh-huh. now that you've been there for so long, do you still consider Zebra a New Orleans band, or, or, or are you kind of like a New Orleans oh, slash I mean, I- New York band, like? I mean, when people ask me where the band's from, I tell them we're from New Orleans, you know? Um, I mean, I've lived here in New York for about 35 years, you know, and uh, Felix has too, but Guy still lives down in Covington. So, uh, you know, we're not all in New York, and uh, whenever we do a gig, somebody's got to fly to wherever we're going, you know? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> So I wouldn't say, like, currently the band, you know, has any city of residence, but... Uh, but whenever anybody asks where we're from, where we started, of course it's New Orleans. You know that's where we started, and we came we came to New York a couple of years later, and uh, you know we've uh, we've done well up here. And a lot of people think we're from Long Island, but uh, but nope, we're not. I've even had people tell me that their their brother went to school with me in Long Island. <laughs> and you're like, like you're like, I got news for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah. 
Exactly. <laughs> which, is, funny. which is so funny because, of course, to me, you, you know, your accent, you know, still screams New Orleans like you still go make your groceries at Swagman's, you know, but like, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, but like, it's funny because I'm sure when you go to New York, you know, like they hear the accent and like, you know, when I first moved to Atlanta, people were like, you're either, you're either from Boston or you're from New Orleans, <laughs> you know, and I was like, right. uh, New Orleans, yeah, pretty much. That's funny. Well, so well, the debut album came out in 84 and you guys were already a band for God, what, seven, eight years or so at the time? Like, yeah, I'm the, actually the, the first album was 83. Just to Oh, was it? It was 83. Second, okay. Second album came out in 84. Yeah. Okay. Second okay. That makes, that makes more sense because I think I bought it in 84 is what it was. Okay. So, so it came out in uh -huh. 83. So, um, but, uh, you guys were together like what, like seven or eight years or so before the, um, album was even released. Yeah. We, uh, you know, we got together in 1975 and, uh, we had made some demos during the seventies and then turned down by various levels and uh finally we got signed in 1981 to atlantic and uh had the first record finished in 82 and they released it in uh, early 83 like so that that's a long time to have you know material yeah. you it know was a long time yeah we were kind of resigned to not that we weren't going to get a record deal and i think if it hadn't been for a radio station here in new york playing our songs on the radio we probably would never have gotten a record deal but uh there's a radio station here wbab that played uh was playing our demos and they were some of the most requested songs at the station and the program director strongly suggested to uh and our guy at atlantic records that he'd look at signing us and uh that's what they did so what were some of those songs that were getting played? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming these were from the demos, correct? Like that were just pretty yeah, much sent yeah, out the, to the, the stations. Yeah, uh, the demo had Take Your Fingers From My Hair, uh, Who's Behind the Door, Waiting Till the Summer's Gone, uh, One More Chance, I think was on it. Um, and I think Don't Walk Away, maybe. I, I have to go back and I know the first four for sure, mm -hmm. but I, I'm not so sure about Don't Walk Away. Because, you know, one of the things I was trying to think of was like, especially, you know, as a songwriter myself, like I know, you know, I mean, you know, I write pretty, you know, on a pretty regular basis, you know, I can't even imagine what eight years of material must have been like to kind of sift through to decide what was going to make up this debut album of yours. So like, how many songs well, did you, you know, guys go it, into? It, it actually was... was we didn't have to sift through it because we it had already been sifted through by the fans. I mean, we had been playing a lot of originals in 1975 and 76, and we would perform them live. And if they didn't get, you know, the great greatest response, we just would stop playing them. So that was the sifting process was uh, the audience. Uh, we'd give each song a good shot, but we could pretty much tell which songs were working and which ones weren't. Um, we didn't make it a point of announcing that the songs were ours either. We would sometimes just, like most of the time, just play the songs mm -hmm. uh, without any introduction. And you could really tell if a song uh, had hit somebody if, was, if they were asking you about the song or whose song is that or, you know, asking you about that specific thing and all they could do is like hum a little bit of it or tell you some of the words. <laughs> and that's how I could tell we were getting good feedback, you know? Well, so was there like, I mean, e even aside from that, was there like a certain number of songs? Like, did you go in with the songs that are on the album and say, this is what we're going to cut? Because, you know, there's so many times you hear about bands, especially, you know, you, they say you have your whole life to make your first record, you know? Like, right. I've always wondered, like, did Zebra go into the studio with that debut and say, like, did you guys cut like 28 tracks, 15, 16 tracks, or did you just cut like what the no, album was? No, no, no. We had, we had, the songs were pretty much already ironed out. I mean, uh, obviously the songs that, that were being played on WBAB were, uh, you know, they were getting a huge response. So uh, they were in. Uh, the only one we didn't use from the demo was Waiting to the Summer's Gone, and we, we put that on the second Reaver record. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the 
that kind of a process. I mean, we had written as many songs, you know. I mean, you, you write hundreds of songs, and then, or I do anyway. You write a mm-hmm. hundred songs, and then you get ten good ones, you know. Uh, but you know, some of the sorting comes from, uh, you know, myself. You know, I'll sort through my own stuff and then decide what I even want to show to the band, and then the band will sort through uh, whatever I show them, and we'll call the stuff down. Uh, and that's how we kind of did the third album. You know, that was uh, the complete process where all the songs were new. And, uh, you know, we went through what you're talking about right now, uh, deciding what songs were going to go and which weren't. But, you know, a lot of times you want pe- other people on the outside to listen to the stuff, too, and see what they think. You know? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, of course, we want to like the stuff. So, uh you know, we would discard anything that we really weren't thrilled with. And so, and then take it you know, usually around 25, 25 to 30 songs and then start playing those for friends and mm-hmm. the demos, rough ideas of them, you know, and see what, what was clicking the most. And, uh, and then, you know, take it from there. Uh, with the first album though, it was completely different because like I said, we'd already been playing these songs, a lot of them for, uh, for eight years, you know? So really, the, that first album was pretty much a gift to all the fans. That was like, like, like here's these songs that you guys have been loving for so long, like made in an awesome recording yeah. studio and with great production. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, and how could we? How could we present a first album that didn't have the songs they wanted to hear on it? You know, they go, "What happened? <laughs> what do you mean you didn't record? Yeah. Who's behind the door? Are you crazy?" You know, exactly. like, you know. What do you mean you're saving it for the next record? <laughs> <laughs> I might not buy it. You know, I mean, it's like it's crazy. Because yeah. I was always curious about that. Because because to me, the the debut Zebra album, you know, in my opinion, and I'm not even just saying this as a bias because you know, you know, you know, I'm a New Orleans kid, but. You know, just even from the day I heard it, I just remember thinking this is every bit as great as, you know, I mean, in my opinion, you know, the first Rush album, the first Aerosmith album, the, I mean, some of the greatest, you know, rock debut albums. And it really, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, you earned that, you know, in my opinion. And I always thought that that was such a great album. But one of the things that stuck out to me so much was the sequencing. Like I'm a big fan of sequencing of albums and like how there's a flow and how there's a, you know, I mean, to me, it doesn't get any better than, you know, as I said before, bleeding right into who's behind the door, you know, like yeah. how much thought went into that, the sequencing process of that album or, or did, was it just one of those things that it just kind of fell into place or did, did you go in with a thought process like that? No, no. I think the, we had, we had to finish the record first before we really could sequence it. And, you know, I suggested to Jack Douglas to put who's behind the door after, uh, said before, cause they, they, you know, said before, it ends on the same chord as who's behind the door, and uh, they're they're pretty different as far as songs go, you know. Um, and so there's a pretty nice contrast, you know. It's a nice flow when you fade it out and go right into who's behind the door, and it worked, you know. Now I know in the live set that uh, back, especially back in the day, you used to open up with, as I said before, quite a bit. Um, oh yeah. Um, do you ever do the as I said before into who's behind the door transition live? Um, you know we could, but we really ha- I think we tried it one time just as fooling around at, at one of the shows we were doing, mm-hmm. and uh, it it wouldn't take too much to do it, you know. But uh, we haven't done it. Maybe I'll maybe I'll try it this weekend. You know, I'll suggest that I get my my tech to just hand me my acoustic guitar after I strum the last chord and let him let it ring out. You know, mm-hmm. I like <laughs> this well, idea. Be... I would like to know that I'd spearheaded this. <laughs> all right. Well, if we do it and we, and, and we pull it off live, I'll, I'll give you all the credit. All right, <laughs> but you know, you can also blame me if it totally like, you know, bites the big one though, you know, which I highly doubt yeah, that no, would nobody happen. Nobody will hear about it. <laughs> You're just going to be like, that was an experiment. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I said, with, with, with the debut album, 
it was just such a list, such an experience to hear it. And I just, I was listening to it last night when I was trying to figure out, you know, wh- what direction I was going to go and asking you some of the questions about the album and just the process. Um, like, are there any memories or, or like particular stories that are tied to any of the songs that come back to you just in reminiscing about the album and thinking about what it was like being in the studio and whatnot? Yeah, I mean, one one event that I really remember uh, distinctly was actually the mixing Who's Behind the Door. Um, it was the first song that we mixed off the record, mm-hmm. and we were working in uh, at the record plant, and we were over budget at that point. And um, Atlantic wanted us to leave the record plant and come into Atlantic Studios uh, and keep their keep the money in house, I guess, you know? And so we were in the middle of the mix and, you know, the, uh, the studio manager, the manager of the, uh, record plant, um, came in and told Jack Douglas, you know, Jack, you're going to have to finish, wrap this up. The Atlantic's not going to pay for anymore, uh, time right now. And Jack says, okay, we'll be finished in just a minute. You know, just a couple of hours, you know, and they said, okay, a couple of hours. Well, you know, make a long story short, those couple of hours turned into a couple of days. And uh, we ended up having to lock the door to keep, keep Mitch out. And uh, Mitch was threatening to call the police and have us removed. And it was it was a scene, but Jack wanted to get the song mixed. I mean, we were, back in those days, everything wasn't completely automated. So, right, right. you know, there was a lot, and there was a lot of stuff going on in the song. But uh, we did get it finally mixed, and it was... I think 10 o'clock in the morning, two days after the first warning that uh, we, we came out of the studio and had it finished. But, uh, you know, you guys, she was a great guy. He was the studio manager. He wasn't too happy about it. So. <laughs> you guys probably looked like y'all had been in Fat City for 48 hours straight without any sleep, you know? Yeah, like, it, it, made oh, Fat City look, it made Fat City look like Disneyland, I can tell you. <laughs> it, it looked like we were... Like we had been, we had gone to Vietnam and we just returned, you know. <laughs> yeah, we were, it was, it was a long session, long session. One of the, one of the great things I love about um, Who's Behind the Door is obviously because it's such an involved and it's such a, I mean, it's such a production, you know, um, probably about 20, oh God, this had to be 25 Oh, maybe even longer than that. Twenty-seven years ago, uh, WRNO in New Orleans used to put out these these things every year called the Rock Album. I don't know if you remember that. Um, and it was yeah. and it was always like a co- a collection of like local artists and stuff, you know, like local bands. Yeah. And and one the, the one year that I bought it, it was like a hot year because it was like like had a bunch of the local metal bands. It had like Hagen and Razor White and Killer Elite. Yeah. And then they had the, it was, I I believe it was either a demo or a rough mix of who's behind the door. I can't remember what it is. I'm going to bring it with me to show you if you don't have it. It would have been, it would have been the demo. It would have been the original demo. Okay. Because it was so interesting to hear the demo and that even the demo, the amount of work that you guys put into the production of that song, you know, so it, it, yeah. it 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 didn't appear to me that you guys were the kind of band that played everything really simple, and then the minute you got a record deal, you're gonna like, all right, dude, we're gonna fucking do everything now. You know, it's like you guys really put a lot into the demo aspect of those songs. Yeah, we worked really hard on the demos, and there was a pretty clear vision of what the song was gonna be like. So, uh, you know, there there are differences between the studio version, you know, but. Um, they're not so much sonically and not so much production wise, you know, there's, uh, it's more just a little additions here and there, like a guy talking at the end of the, uh, uh, you know, right before the explosions. And, uh, uh-huh. I think Jack, Jack used some backward echo on the, uh, on the song mm-hmm. that we didn't use in the demo, but, but they do sound, you know, they're, pr- they're pretty similar. So you do, you know, you you get an idea what the song's supposed to be be about. You know, and and I think that's why the song did so well uh, on WBAB when they were just playing it in regular rotation in New York. You know, and right. helped us get the work record 
Yeah. I mean, I used to tell people all the time, there were like three songs I felt like I always heard whenever I heard, whenever I turned on WRNO, and that was, you know, it was Bob Seger's Old Time Rock and Roll. It was Walk This mm-hmm. Way by Aerosmith. And then it was... Uh, it was who's behind the door. <laughs> you know, like I felt like WRNO yeah, was. Well, WRNO was. They were really good to us, you know. You know, and, uh, and I still work. I still work with Michael Costello up until today. You know, he owns uh, WTIX now FM in New Orleans, and he's got another FM station that's like an '80s classic rock station down there. That and, is. Uh, we still work together on different projects, you know. That is crazy. Well, you have to tell him I was a big fan of Mike's Monkeys when he used to do his Monkeys oh, show on Sundays. <laughs> I used to I love will, that. <laughs> but um, I always thought that was interesting. And of course, like, of course, I'm going to bring it up again because it's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask you about. But I feel like "Who's Behind the Door" is the song that you guys. Pro- or that you probably get asked the most about and that you've probably talked the most about. And is there ever any time where you're just like, oh, God, can you just, like, ask me about bears or, like, wait until the summer's gone or whatever? Or is it just one of those songs that for some reason resonated with people that just, like, what do you think it is about no, that I, song? Yeah, I mean, I, you know... That that song really kind of presented my uh, philosophy, you know, mm-hmm. in a, in a little nutshell, you know. So no, I never get bored of talking about it, you know. And uh, I'm very agnostic, and the song is very agnostic if you really listen. But mm-hmm. the interesting thing for me is the is what different people, you know, perceive from the lyrics, you know. And they're sure they know what it's about, you know, and sometimes they're so far off, it, it amazes me, you know, and uh, it's, it's, uh, it, at least so far off of what I was intending, you know. I didn't specifically make it so that it was about any one thing, you know, and you could interpret the lyrics a lot of different ways, but right. I think that's uh, that's an that's an important part of music anyway, you you're not trying to preach to anybody, at least I'm not. And, uh, and I'm just really asking a lot of questions and that's what who's behind the door is all about, you know? See, and that's one of the things I think that drew me in, especially as a, you know, a young teenager, once I got, you know, once I really got to listening to lyrics and whatnot, and then I would listen, I think we talked about that the last time was that, you know, like all of a sudden, when I was like 17 hearing songs like bears and stuff like that, I remember going, wow, there's something, this isn't just a rock song, man. There's like, he's saying something here. And like, and I really get drawn into that because I'm I'm a very lyrical person, you know? And, Mm -hmm. um, like, so hearing those, hearing what kind of brought that, you know, like being that it was your philosophy and everything. Have you ever, had like run-ins with people about it or is it just kind of like do you like to just let people just say hey you know take from it what you will no i've never had any like confrontations with anybody you know i mean right. pretty much the the, the song the, the lyric idea i think was uh probably 90% of it is uh, inspired by the movie 2001. I might have mentioned that to you last time. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yeah. 2001 A Space Odyssey. And, and and that movie itself, you know, is just asking a lot of questions, you know. And I and, I, and there's – it doesn't define anything. That's what makes the movie so great. And to this day, it still, to me, is the, the best sci-fi movie about – uh, aliens or, or the lack of, or whatever that there is, you know, there's no, uh, they didn't try to define them or describe them or picture them or anything. You know? It's and ambiguous. It was, it's it, so, yeah, yeah very you ambiguous know. And, and leaves a lot open to your imagination. So I, and, and that was what inspired me, you know, that was the awe that I got out of that movie, you know? Um, and that's before that, yeah. it was just, you know, spacemen land and, they emerge and they're green and they got tentacles you know it's well defined 
<laughs> silver guy comes out of di- silver guy comes out of disc, you know, and like straight arms and <laughs> shoots lasers, you know. Uh, it's like because really, because yeah. that's kind of what I really got out of Who's Behind the Door was that there's this kind of ambiguity to it that's like it's like it, it could really be interpreted anyway, and and to me that's a, that that's a yeah. great song, you know. Um, but one of the songs, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. That was, that was the intention, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the whole point of, of, uh, you know, you, when you're agnostic, you know, you don't have an answer, you know, you're, you're open and, you know, so keep asking questions. That's my, always my philosophy, you know? See, it's so funny because I'm, I'm also agnostic. And so, um, I actually worked with a friend of mine many years ago. We did an, um, we did a soundtrack for an independent documentary that was about finders and seekers, you know, which was based basically this guy, you know, had figured out there were, you know, that humanity can be separated. You know, there's, there's finders who find what they're looking for, you know, in religion or whatever. And then there's seekers who don't really, you know, like adhere to any kind of organized religion or deity or anything, but yet they, they believe that there's something there, but they're just always asking lots of questions and they're reading lots of books and they're re, you know, and so I love that mentality when it comes through music, you know, because then it becomes very relatable. Yeah. Yeah. A seeker mentality is, is more you, decided what you need to prove your point and you're going to search it out. Mm-hmm. And that's what, to me, what a seeker would be, you know? Right. Uh, and, you know, you find, you know, people all over the world, if you're an archaeologist and you have a, a religious bend, you're going to be looking for uh, artifacts that, uh, you know, support your position, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what religion you're, you're with, you know, or, or science too, for that matter, you know, if you're, a scientist and you're really bent on one on one view as opposed to another you're going to be looking for you know you know the, the proof to prove your your side of the argument and uh it's really tough to be a scientist you know, a true scientist if you if you've got that that mindset you know you should be pretty agnostic as a scientist you know to science and everything else that's what my wife says. She works for the CDC, but I'll digress with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, she's like, because, you know, there's a whole thing about, you know, like, like you said, like, you know, like, how can you be science and be this too? They kind of, you're kind of contradicting yourself. You know what I mean? Like, it's just. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot, a little bit of hypocrisy, but you know, we all have to get through life and, and uh, being a scientist doesn't mean you can't be human and have to have, you know, a human society, and some of that may you know evolve around having certain faith that goes beyond faith and just turns to belief. You know, right? And, uh, and I, I don't, I don't fault anybody for that. You know, that's that's not a that's not a problem. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, and and what I loved was that you did you you basically stated that you know with the song you were just like this is me. You know, and you know, you didn't, yeah. you didn't give, you didn't give us ten who's behind the doors. You know what I mean? It's like it's just, there's this, right, this, right. this one song that you're like, wow, I get, to, you know, it's this one great song. But the other thing I always thought was interesting, and um, of all the songs on the album, it was "Slow Down." Like as much as I yeah. love it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Like was that purposely yeah. done? And like, if so, like, what was the inspiration to include that one on what was generally a pretty kind of heavy, almost at times progressive kind of album? Yeah, it you know it was slow down was like always one of my favorite covers that the Beatles did, and we went out to uh, during the sessions we went out to have dinner, and I think I had a little too much to drink at a place called Caracas. It was a Mexican restaurant. We came back and, uh, and I, and I said, man, let's just record slow down, you know, and everybody just agreed. And we, we recorded it, you know, and Jack was into it big time. And, 
we just did it, and uh, we added a little bit of uh, blue suede shoes to it. I always uh, loved that, that you added the blue suede yeah. shoes line in there. <laughs> yeah, and we had a little uh, out on the tiles, that one intro, you know, so it was kind of a mash of, you know, a bunch of, bunch of stuff. And, uh, you know, on the record, you know, it, it does stick out. To, yeah, you, it's like, where did this come from? What was this doing on this record? But, you know. That's the story. <laughs> it wasn't real thought out. We just threw it in. But see, I love that because that's a, that's such a mentality, you know, from like, you know, like you said, like back, at, you know, without thinking too much and where before yeah. things were like overthought in the studio and whatnot, you know, it was like, oh, hey, let's have some drinks and record this record, this album, this song and see yeah, how it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Be, yeah. Be, well, it was towards the end of the sessions too, you know, we had, we did them. We did it way late. It was like one of the last things we did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I don't even think we had basic track. I'm not sure. I think we did it at Atlantic Studios. We were already back in there when we did it. So, Well, so the first album, of course, like, you know, we were talking about, you know, it was a huge breakthrough album for you. And, you know, but one of the, another thing I really loved about the debut was that I always thought it was pretty fucking bold to have a bunch of, three minute songs here and there, but then to have like three songs that ran five minutes, seven minutes. And then you have take your fingers from my hair at nearly eight minutes long. Like, was this Mm -hmm. kind of, did this come from your exploratory nature where you were kind of, yeah, yeah. You had kind of a a foot in like somewhat of that progressive influence. You know, the, the song links, you know, we, we weren't really, like, looking at song lengths. You know, when mm-hmm. we were writing the songs or putting them together or arranging them, uh, when you played them, you could feel if something usually felt like it was too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, those songs just worked at, on those times, whether it was, you know, five minutes or eight minutes. Um, and that's why we did them like we did. Plus, we'd already been playing them live, and people weren't, like, yawning you know, by the end of the song so, so you weren't like we need to cut that middle part out you know <laughs> yeah and and believe me we've done you know we've we've done songs uh live where we played them live and mm-hmm. then felt like they were too long and edited them <laughs> for the next performance you know and 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 cut them out because once you go out and start playing them live it's a it's kind of a different perspective on it, you know and you can kind of feel a little bit more uh, you know, you're, you're able to like view the song instead of having to play it. Right. And, uh, you get a, a little more objective viewpoint watching the audience watch you. And I think that helps a lot, you know, especially when we're trying new stuff out. So we've shortened songs that we thought were too long, but, uh, you know, take your fingers from my hairs, who's behind the door. They were never going to be shorter. Yeah. Well, no, because to me, those songs, those two particular songs in particular, especially Take Your Fingers From My Hair, is got, it's such an epic. Do you know what I mean? That it would almost be like, to me, ripping out pages from a chapter. Do you know what I mean? And then like, you'd be like, where's the rest of it? It just doesn't feel complete. Because every time I've heard that song and it goes by, I never feel like it was set, you know, eight minutes long. I'm like... That sounded every bit as short as, you know, as I said before, or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, it, because it had that's such that's a it, to it, you know? That's the way it should be, you know. You don't want, if the song feels too, I mean, a two-minute song can sound, can feel too long, <laughs> you know? I mean, there's Trust some me, I know. <laughs> where you're, you're, you're done after 30 seconds, you don't need any more, you know, but, uh, you know, when a song is the right length, it really doesn't matter how long it is. That's why, uh, you know, a lot of classic classical music works because people don't mind sitting there for a half hour listening to the, uh, to the music because it works. Um, and then if you look like at a song like Close to the Edge by Yes, which mm-hmm. is a whole side of an album. Oh, yeah. What would, th- what would you take out of that? I couldn't think of one second I would take out of that. It's a masterpiece. It's you know? perfect. You know, because it, yeah. again, it's like you said, it was one of those things that obviously like what you just said, you don't really think about it as you're putting it together, but in a way you're, it, it's just kind of coming together. And then when you go out there and you play it, 
unless people are just like falling over asleep, you're just like, oh, well, we must be doing it all right. So it just stays as it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you, and you can tell, you can feel it, whether it's too long or not, you know? Play it for a while, so. Yeah, no, it wasn't like exploring anything. It was just writing songs and making them the length that they they kind of they they tell you what length they need to be is what it is. The song the song finds its length, its length a lot of times, you know. Right. So Zebra had a and of course not just from the debut album, but from even you know even even on th- you know through you know three point five and everything was that like um, no telling lies even whatever it's like you guys had a big impact on some some bands that you would almost least expect to hear about, especially so many of these New Orleans metal bands that are out now like. I don't you know if you're familiar with the the sludge metal band out of New Orleans Crowbar like Crowbar Kurt, yeah those guys were always talking about man fucking zebra <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> like <laughs> Kirk is awesome Kirk is great they I mean, they're all over the place Oh yeah, I mean you know, but like it's so funny because you, when you hear these metal do you, you know these are guys that are you know probably about five or ten years older than me and so they remember zebra you know in new orleans and seeing them and so they were such a big part of that and not only that i always thought it was awesome to pick up these masters of metal compilations every now and then these k-tel records and i'd be like there's a zebra song on this one too (laughs) so was it was it kind of weird to you that you were embraced more so by the hard rock and metal community more so than the the AOR community, or did, did it just feel more natural? Well, I think you know, in the case of New Orleans, you know, you had a, a different situation because uh, you know a lot of the musicians that, that came up out of there had seen us in the early early days, so we weren't just the first album, the first Zebra album to them. You know, we were everything else we had been doing up until then, covers included. So they know there was a, uh, you know, an even broader range of stuff that we had done. And right. and I think that helped inspired a lot of, uh, you know, the reason like the, the hardcore metal guys were, were you know, enjoyed Zebra. And, uh, you know, as far as the, like the later records, I remember a guy that was in, uh, we were on a, what was it, the cruise to the edge the yes cruise and there was a band that was playing and he said and they weren't from new orleans and the guy told me he says man he says i just gotta tell you he says i was playing in a uh, head banging just speed metal band and we were touring the country and we were listening to your third album we just kept listening to it and listening to it and listening to it <laughs> And we de- and we decided right in the middle of the tour that we were not going to do speed metal anymore. We were getting away from that, and we were gonna and we were gonna do progressive music. Oh, that's and crazy! So, uh, yeah, and he said, uh, and so we just stopped right there, and we put together this progressive band, and you know they they played for uh, years and years and years, and I'm you know I'm, I'm stupid for not remembering the name of the band, but. The singer in the band eventually left the band, and he's singing with Yes now. Oh, that's that is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so you, you just never know what what what's going to happen, you know. What a what a cool what a cool thing though to see because that kind of that kind of you know goes goes into like my next question which was kind of about like you know looking back on the on the debut album and looking back just on on your career in general I mean do you wish that you would have done different is there anything you wish you would have done different or vice versa or like in other words, do you wish you would have changed, like done things, like I don't know how to explain. I mean, it. there's always yeah. things, always things I look back and <clears throat> and say, you know, I wish I would have done this, that. I don't look back and think of thing that we could have done that would have really changed anything in any great 
way. Right. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, there's nothing that I think was like, oh, that was a fatal mistake, or we should have never done that. You know, it's just nitpicky stuff. You know, like, you know, whether it's the music or whether we put this song on one album as opposed to another, or uh, or took one gig. I mean, the only thing that that I kind of regret that I think might have helped us um, was when we uh, we got offered to go to Europe on the second record or tour with Sammy Hager. Mm-hmm. And we chose to, to go out on, with Sammy Hager on his tour, and, and it was a great tour, and Sammy took care of us. But I think in hindsight, we really needed to get to Europe right then you know that would have i think that would have made a uh, a difference for the band you know because that also um, would have been pretty perfect timing knowing that you guys had like three albums yeah. under your belt you know what i mean and like you would have had yeah plenty of material we had it was the second it was the second record it would have been the second record tour and uh, i think we made a mistake by not doing that but, oh it was um, for the no telling you know, lies okay that, yeah yeah no telling lies yeah the third record hadn't come out okay yeah but but then again, you know, you never know. I mean, I wrote a lot of the uh, 3.5 album while we were on tour with Sammy. So if I hadn't been on tour with him, who knows what I would have been writing over in Europe, you know? Right. Yeah, you might have. <laughs> exactly. Written. So you can't really call anything a, a, a mistake. You can only say, well, maybe this, maybe that. And overall, I don't, I don't really see any life-changing things. That, that I regret. Kind of goes back to that agnostic thing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like, yeah. hey, it yeah. just happened, you know? It just happened yeah. the way it did, you know? And like, there's no regrets, yep. you know? It, yep. You were talking about um, the, the the progressive band, and of course, one of the things that I, I always thought was extremely cool was how, I guess it was about 10 years ago or so, Dream Theater recorded their inversion of take your fingers from my hair for um their black clouds and silver linings album like how did it feel yeah. for the first time that you heard a prog metal band like covering one of your most iconic songs like what was that like well i mean i was flattered you know that they did i i got a uh i got an email to let me know they had already recorded and it was about to come out and um you know, so I was really flattered that they were going to do it. We had done a couple of shows with them early on uh, before they even had a record deal. I knew how good they were. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at the point they covered the song, they had already, like, you know, done the world a dozen times. And yeah, a few times. Yeah, reviewed, exactly. You know, so it was, it was really flattering. But I never really never knew what kind of influence we had on them, you know, at all, you uh-huh. know, until then. And, uh, so I was flattered by it, and they did a great job with the with the song, you know. It's amazing how you don't thought, always hear or, or or get the influence that that an artist has on a band until you hear a band do that particular band's song, and even if they do it in their own way, you can still hear the in the the deep rooted influence, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, we're all learning from. Uh, you know our peers and our heroes and and uh you know it comes out in our music you know it's uh it's part of the excitement of making music you know is uh doing something new with something that uh, means a lot to you you know and as a musician and a songwriter yourself that must i mean to me that must be like the most the ultimate form of flattery to hear another another band saying like you know this is one of the songs that shaped us, you know, and it's your song, you know? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and they're one of the few bands that does, you know, that kind of a thing where they put, uh, you know, a group of cover songs on a CD and they've, they've done it quite a, quite a bit, you know, and then they do their, their album of all their originals. So, uh, to have us included on, uh, on that package, that was, that was awesome. It was real, really flattering. Well, so in 2018, this album stands just, like I said, stands strong as any hard rock debut. And yet, you know, Zebra, I always thought should have been bigger. But like, are you cool with the cult status that Zebra has achieved over the years? Or do you sometimes wish it would have gone into a greater direction? You know, I don't know. Um, 
you know, I look at, you know, people that I know that are, uh, you know, have a lot more notoriety. Uh, some people can't even walk out without, you know, being, you know, recognized. And, and for me, the amount, you know, the amount of people that approach me on the street is fine. You know, I'm good with it. I can, I can, uh, it's manageable. To it. <laughs> yeah. It's manageable. You, know? you don't have to have a security and detail. Just, you know? Yeah. And then, but then I'll hear, you know, oh man, this, you know, somebody will tell me this guy was a, was an a-hole and they treated me so bad, you know, but I start thinking, well, maybe it's because they just couldn't, you know, handle it anymore. You know, they just had too much and, mm-hmm. you know, after a while, you know, I don't know. I, I don't, I wouldn't want to have to be in that position to, to, uh, to be the, be the asshole, you know? And, uh, oh, yeah. maybe I could be thankful that we didn't make it any bigger than, than we did, uh, for that and at the same time you know i'm still making a living playing music and uh for me that's you know that's what i wanted to do so that's success man yeah. i remember talking to kevin yeah, i talked to a local musician here who's in a band uh, one time and uh his name's kevin kenny and i asked him what his uh, definition of of success was and he said breaking even <laughs> you know and I was just like that's, fuck, I said, that's fucking great and he was like I haven't had to have a day job since I was 17 so I think I'm doing pretty good you know I was like yeah well you know, you know that's, a, that's a success story there's no doubt about it you're doing what you love and uh, you know whether you're a musician or not if you're doing what you love and you know that's all that really matters if you can make a living doing what you love and you don't have stress from from working, then uh, you're 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 pretty successful in my book, you know. Oh yeah, and you are always the most laid back and just the kindest guy to talk to. And like every time I talk to you, I feel like I'm 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 talking to like a little bit of home. You know what I mean? I, I always love talking to you, man. Well, thanks, thanks, I appreciate it, Tom. Well, I only have two. It's easy. <laughs> well, I'm glad I make it easy for you. You know, you know, I, yeah. I, I try, I try to make it as conversive and laid back as possible. I'm not one of these like, so tell me about the craziest thing that happened on tour, you know, and you know those dudes, right. you know, but um, which is why I started doing this in the first place, you know. <laughs> so, um, good. Well, so I only have two more questions for you, but before I ask them, I, when I do my sign off, just hang on for just a quick second so I can give you a proper good by because i hate hanging up on people so um okay so um um so looking back on the album the debut if you had one particular song on this album that you feel encapsulates what zebra was and is about like which one would it be and why um if i had to play one song you know if i had to pick a song that i had to do in like a three-minute song to give people an idea of what the band was about mm-hmm. as quick as possible. I, I would pick one more chance. And the reason is, is because it's got the lightness, it's got the uh, mellow beginning, you know, uh, and then it gets into the heavy part, um, and you've got the harmonies, you know, where all three of us are singing. So it kind of represents a little bit of, of everything we're about. I mean, lyrically, I, uh, of course, I would pick who's behind the door, but uh, but I think if I had to pick one one song, you know, to define Zebra on the first record, it'd be, it would be one more chance. Yeah, that's so funny because that was that was probably my second choice. My first choice was, uh, um, as I said before, but that makes sense because, like you said, it kind of captures the. Um, the the different the, the elements the, exactly yeah. yeah the dynamics of zebra is what i was trying to get at yeah like the dynamics the light the heavy the melodic you know all that you know yeah and then looking back on on that the same album is there a particular song that you look at and you go i w- i or i wish we i wish i would have done i wish we would have done that one better um I can't, I can't really think of one that, uh, I mean, we went over it so much while we were in the studio, um, as to what we put in it or added to it and stuff. I mean, the only one that was like, the the crazy one was of course, uh, slow down, but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, I don't, I don't look at anything and, and, and regret 
you know, what, what we did, you know, I thought, uh, I mean, we could have mixed it forever. Of course, you know, I can listen back and say, I wish I'd have heard this a little louder or this a little less, but, right. but overall you hear, you hear what was going on and, uh, you know, you know, the record sounds good. You know, when you hear it on the radio, it's powerful and, you know, I don't think there's like any one song I would, I would, I could pick, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess finally, like after all these years of the album being around, when was the last time you listened to it in full yourself? Um, just, you mean all the way through? Yeah. Straight through. Uh, um, oh, that's, it's been a long, 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 long time. It's, <laughs> it's gotta be over 20 years that I've sat and listened to the whole record straight through. Um, I mean, I guess for me, they were all individual songs and was, and we've been doing them that way for eight years. So, uh, the sequence isn't like drilled in my head, you know? Right. Um, but I, it, you know, other records, you know, like I know Led Zeppelin too, you know, I've listened to that so many times. It's like, I'm waiting, you know, at the end of any Led Zeppelin two song I hear, for uh-huh. the next song is, you know, I'm so programmed that, but, you know, because it was our record, I didn't really listen to it as an album, you know? Right. And so, and so it wasn't like something that uh, that I would sit down and just listen to, uh, you know, in 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 the order it was, you know. I right. individually I'd listen to songs, you know. Well, let me check this one out again, or here, and uh, but not not as a whole album, no. It's funny because I think nowadays in in the, I like to call it in, you know in the shuffle era you know where you, you can you know right. everybody's got their music on their phones and you listen to it on shuffle and whatnot you know you know when I was prepping for this the, this uh, interview I you know I, I listen took my vinyl out the one that you signed the one I've had since I was in high school you know and or middle school and popped it on and I listened to it from like front to back and I was just it was one of those records where I was like i need to ask him if he's listened to this album front to back because if he hasn't he needs to <laughs> like because i would a, i would love you to question maybe i'll maybe i'll just take you up on that this week you know no. you, you score did, two points <laughs> you, oh i love dude I, dude i love it i'm scored I, i'm working my way down below <laughs> uh, stalker now and maybe you'll let me backstage at the show or something as long as i keep my distance yeah, you're, or you're something. down below the yellow line <laughs> <laughs> Well, Randy, I appreciate you doing this and for uh, revisiting uh, the Zebra debut album after all these years. And again, I'm so psyched to see you guys here in Atlanta on November 11th at uh, 37 Main. That's going to be fantastic. I'm so ecstatic about it. Yeah, we're we're looking forward to it too, Don. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for taking this uh, stroll down memory lane and uh, taking me back in time, man. I felt like I was there, so I really appreciate it. Well, thanks again for having me. What the journey's for